Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. Welcome back to another episode of the T-Bone Speaks podcast. This week, we have a phenomenal episode. I'm going to be talking with Dr. Matt Standridge about something that probably plagues all of us. That's refinements with clear aligner cases. We're going to talk about the realities of refinement, what we can do to prevent or minimize refinements, and then dealing with refinements when, not if, they happen. So I'm excited to talk to Dr. Matt Standridge about these things. But before we do that, let me turn it over to my faithful... (laughs) But cheating on me, co-host, Meredith. Only co-host. I'm not on another podcast. Well, I did have Michelle co-host once with me. I know. I know. I found out. (laughs) Somebody told me. (laughs) Because I don't listen to it, so somebody told me. So what's up, Meredith? (laughs) I was out of town. Well, we have a lot going on, ending ending the year, wrapping things up, um, and, I mean, we're off to a a whole new start for 2022. Yeah. Booked every weekend and excited to have everyone at the retreat. Um, Before we get into today's episode, which I'm super excited about because the last job I did in the office was ortho and Invisalign um, clear liner champion. So I'm excited to hear how people can avoid some of these refinements that we went through. I have a review today, a Google review. That's nice. This one's from a local guide. Okay, they're a guide. (laughs) Some of the most rewarding and life-changing CE. No filler or BS, just action items to to significantly alter the trajectory of your career for the better. Highly recommend. Did you write that? I did not. I'm not a local guide, okay? I don't know what that means. Dr. Anise. Dr. Matt Anise. Oh, Matt. Matt's a great guy. (laughs) Um, We won't send him a gift. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you guys that Our month of February is coming up fast. We have a few availabilities for courses. Uh, February 3rd through the 5th, we have our digital implant continuum starting off for the new year. Uh, If you're ready to place implants, we provide live patients for you. We have sedation in our new training center in Nashville, February 11th and 12th. And then what you've all been waiting for after today's episode, you can learn more about adult cosmetic ortho and the foundations of clear liners and using brackets with our ortho course uh, in Raleigh at the retreat, February 18th and 19th. And then we will wrap up February with a sleep apnea course in California. That's a lot of stuff in February. Yeah. Well, luckily for you, 
You only have to go to one of them. <laughs> I, mean, I love that. <laughs> Replace yourself. Yes. Well, let's go ahead and bring our wonderful guest and our faculty leader of our adult cosmetic orthodontics program. Uh, let's bring Matt Stanwood on. Matt, how are you doing, my man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get right into it? Um, so what I want to do is let's start off with the question. What are the realities of refinements with clear aligner therapy? Yeah. And I, I, that's a, that's a question that I get a lot and it's a great question because you have, you hear a lot of different feedback from who, who you listen to. You have some people saying that, you know, you should never you should hardly ever have to have a refinement. You know, you should have less than 10 or 20% refinements. But then when you look at the data, um, the data suggests that um, refinements can, on average, uh, 70 cases have refinements. And so, um, which I personally think is too many, I think there's definitely ways to um, cut that down quite a bit. But at the same time, this idea of, if you have to have a refinements, then you failed the case. I think that's completely unrealistic. Um, I, especially if you really want to be, if you really want um, really nice case finishes and stuff, we want to be efficient. But the idea of zero refinements to me is just completely unrealistic. Yeah, you know, I would I would agree with that, uh, and um, so. You know, I think the first thing, so let me ask Meredith a question on this, okay? Uh, so Meredith, to put you on the spot here, okay. um, when you started, did you know that refinements, did you think there were as many refinements as you started dealing with? Well, most people probably put somebody in that has experience doing this. <laughs> probably not. No, um, I did not. So I kind of just started acting like, I was surprised by how many obviously how many refinements we were doing, but to the patients, I acted like it was totally normal. It was no big deal. It was just part of the process. Then once I realized how many refinements we were doing, I set patients up that this is the first phase of treatment. Okay. So be more specific with me. When you say you set patients up, what do you mean by that? Um, I would let them know that we'll probably go through a couple different sets of aligners. Okay. And I would say, you know, this is your first set that we're working on. And then I would say, once we get to a point where these buttons need to change or we're not seeing as much movement, then we'll reset, we'll scan again, send off, and we'll start phase two of treatment. Okay. All right. Well, Matt, Matt, do you agree with kind of those sentiments there? Yeah, I think that's actually a great way to do it. And I have changed my approach over the years that kind of to echo what Meredith was talking about. And that is really setting expectations from the get go. And that is um, I I always let my folks know that to not be tied to the screen says 22 aligners, you know, and if we have to go more than that, then that something was wrong. Um, even if you're doing things just the way that you should, um, people's individual biology is going to be different. And so I always tell folks, don't be tied to the number of aligners. 
there's, and I tell folks because our refinement rate is about 50% or a little bit less. So I, I just tell folks that there's a 50, 50 chance that we'll need additional aligners. And, um, and I say that from the very, very beginning. And so, and I keep refreshing that as well um, when they come in because people can have short-term memories, but, uh, um, but yeah, I think that's a great way. And I'm sure we'll talk about things that we can do to lower our refinement rate. But I think setting that realistic expectation from the get-go is super important. And I can't remember, knock on wood, the last um, patient that I've had upset if we had to do a refinement because I laid that, those realistic expectations from the start. Yeah, you know, I wish we had a 50% refinement rate. I would bet my refinement rate was probably in the 130% rate. No. <laughs> yes. It's not that, but also some patients are a lot more particular than others. Yeah, and, and so right. so I think this is a good segue into the next part. Ultimately, what like I, th- I think that anyone that's done uh, clear line of orthodontics for any period of time uh, has realized that refinements are just part of the process. And truly, you can't yeah. prevent it. All you can do is hope to minimize it. And so there's a gap, yeah. you know, like legitimately, I think our refinement rate is probably close to 90% of our cases need refinement in our practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're at 50%, so clearly there's something you're doing, something you know, somewhere that you can see in what I call the cartoon phase of, you know, the clin right. check or sure smile check or whatever, um, mm-hmm. how to minimize it. I think the real word is minimize uh, um, refinement. So let, let, because, and so let's talk about this for a second, but first let me, let me kind of talk about this. So if we establish that refinements are going to be part of the process, uh, we also need to understand why we need to work hard on minimizing refinements because it cuts into profitability because you have to see your patients more often. The dentist ends up having to take off buttons more often, having to reattach buttons more often. It lowers patient confidence and patient experience. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. the main reasons we've got to minimize our refinements. So let's talk to Matt a little bit about how can we prevent or minimize? What are the key tips and tricks uh, that we can do to prevent those things? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So 
Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com. Check out our upcoming sessions and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, that's a great question. So understanding what you, you referred to it as the video game, right? And, or the cartoon. And that's exactly what it is. One of the first things we have to start realizing is that what we see on the screen isn't necessarily what's going to happen. And I, I feel like it took me less time to figure that out because I, I learned through straight wire orthodontics. And so we learn this concept of overcorrection pretty early in that. And But it wasn't really taught very much in aligner classes because you basically just did what the screen told you. And it's really um, having a firm diagnosis of what movements are going to need to happen because certain movements are going to be harder than others. But then also knowing, just knowing how plastic works, knowing what types of movements that aligners work great in. Because there are certain movements like buckle tipping, for example, just bringing an, uh, an upper incisor and just bringing it out. Well, there's tons of surface area for that uh, aligner to push on. So that's a great movement. But something like trying to rotate a lower central incisor or lower lateral, these tiny little teeth, um, we have to understand how the aligner is going to act on that. And those are... For, for example, a couple of areas that are chronically um, ref, pain points for refinement for folks. And so starting to understand exactly how aligners work and that they work by pushing on teeth and understanding what movements need to happen, that's what really unlocks people to be like, okay, I know that when I see this, I need to prescribe this. And it can become kind of cookbook in a way once you really learn the ins and outs, but that is um, what I think needs to be kind of rewired from the get-go of how we look at these things is understanding that what's shown on the screen is showing force mechanics. It's not showing what the actual end result is going to be. Yeah, I agree. I think the prevention of them, I mean, well, first of all, we could start with user error first too is user error on our end <laughs> right. no the patients and um you know oh, it's always the patients say, oh the i wear them all the time though <laughs> no, they wear them for like four hours a day the opposite of how right. long they should be wearing them um you know when you say 18 to 22 hours a day they're like what i've been wearing them all the time and it's like four hours um is there any like types of things you use to give the patient so we used to have like these triangular i called them like a chewy um, the I mean, munchies, munchie, yeah. munchies, yes. Um, yeah. that we used and you could think that the tray was all the way seated. You could push on it and then you would bite down on that thing and it would still crack like into place. So yeah. it's like you never could really get it into place without using that. Do you use anything like that to help prevent? 
I do. I, I get the I get the I get the Chewies or just the general brand of those. Which the the Munchies for those folks who um, don't know, it can be a it can be like a boomerang or like a three sided. Um, like almost like a plus shape that has different uh, rigidity and different notches Mm -hmm. in it to where a person will bite into the aligners. They have different ways to bite in the front, different ways to bite in the back. But the whole thing is to engage seat fully seat the aligner, because Mm -hmm. if the aligner isn't fully seated, you're not getting the engagement. You're not getting the force that that aligner needs to do. So that's what, for folks who weren't familiar with that, that's what Meredith was talking about. I use Chewies because after kind of moving to the munchies versus the Chewies, um, which are just basically, they look like rubber cotton rolls. They're the same shape and size as a cotton roll, but they're just um, rubberized and um, having the patient bite around on that. I did not find any clinical difference between the two. Um, uh, so I just use the Chewies because they're a little bit cheaper. Not um, a but little bit cheaper. I do bo- significantly cheaper. Those things look like the things you used to put on your pencil in middle school, you know? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, to help your grip. Yeah, that's what those look like. <laughs> but but um, I think, but I do think um, you need something like mm-hmm. that because there there's a lot and so we give them out um at the beginning of our cases we give them out and we always ask if they if they need some more at every for at every delivery appointment like um you know new new uh, the next set of trays uh we always ask hey do you need some chewies and all that stuff so i i really do believe that every case needs something like that yeah, you know, I, I actually was uh, fascinated. I listened to a lecture by, on the munchies, uh, and I was quite fascinated by the slight difference uh, that some type of chewing product, whether it's the munchies or the chewies, I mean, maybe we're smoking marijuana, I, I don't know. <laughs> but whether it's the munchies, chewies, or even just a... Uh, so I've seen I, some dentists give uh, people a slow yeah, speed suction deal. I was deal. just going to say that, yeah. yeah. To chew on, oh, yeah. right on. Uh, it's, it's really, honestly, it's that little bit of uh, slight movement that engaging the tray that really makes the difference. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't yeah. want to get into an argument of Invisalign versus Shore Smile versus anybody else, but there really is right. a difference when you have a scallop tray versus a non-scallop tray of getting that mm-hmm. final engagement at the cervical third of the tooth. Because with the scallop tray, uh, it, is, I mean, it, is have, it does have a little there. bit more flex yeah. there. So it is super important to get it to be engaged. You know, <clears throat> Matt, I have another yeah. question. Um, so obviously we're talking about minimizing or prevention of refinements and you talked about, right. you know, understanding the video game. Talk to me a little bit about building in overcorrection uh, as a way to, um, kind of help minimize, um, uh, the, the, the chances of having refinements. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great question. So, and we talk about that a lot at the course, but, um, yeah, understanding that there are certain movements and certain teeth, like any tooth that is just tiny and doesn't have um, a lot of surface area. So I'm talking your lower incisors. I'm talking your upper lateral incisors. Those are tricky ones because they're nestled in between a big old honk and central and a big old honk and canine. And so you have like these two bully teeth that have 
big surface areas and this little lateral in between them. So it can kind of get caught, uh, kind of caught between those. And so understanding that those teeth in general are going to be a little bit more difficult to move and then understanding the mechanics of what movements are a little bit harder to do with aligners. And when you start putting those two together, that's when you start to understand the need for overcorrection. So rotations on small teeth, um, rotations in general can be difficult to achieve with aligners. Uh, so that's when we have to know what type of button is going to need. Now, if you're using Invisalign or SureSmile, they do a pretty good job figuring that part out for you. So it's not a whole lot needed there. Um, but then also understanding that those teeth or those rotations, they're going to be harder to do with aligners. And so I need to cook in, a, I need to let things bake a little bit longer. I need to overshoot a little bit knowing I'm not going to get all of that. I'm going to settle back here a little bit. And so I always, um, just for folks uh, listening, I always kind of look at the um, tooth movement tables and, um, and Invisalign or SureSmile have those. And one of the first things I look at is rotations. And if I have a small tooth that has a lot of rotation that's needed, then I know I'm probably going to crank that up a little bit more, about five or six degrees past what they're projecting, just because I want to put in a little bit more umph on that. So did that answer your question? Yeah, and yeah. I think I think that's important. So so really, one of the things that was eye-opening to me when I, when I was in the course with you, Matt, as an attendee, was that your clinchecks look pretty ugly when they're done <laughs> compared to right. mine. You know, I'm looking at them, and I yeah. mean that in a very, you know, in a very... To, to make way. yeah a loving way because my clin checks look perfect when I'm done right but they and don't, th- right. But they don't, don't look like that right and and I think that's where the overcorrection <laughs> exactly. really comes in you have to go into it knowing that maybe you do a a, a clin check that's designed for the patient to see and then you go back and do the mm-hmm. refinements or sorry the updates in the clin check asking for either you can use the 3D control tools and do the mo- movements yourself. Mm-hmm. Or you can right. ask for the movements to be done. And, and if you don't mind, I, I don't want to get into too, 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 too detailed on this, but what specific teeth, you know, if you could give us a couple of three teeth, a couple of three specific scenarios where you know you're building in overcorrections, uh, what, what would those be? Yeah, so any teeth, um, again, one of the first things I look at is the tooth movement table, and I'll look at the rotations. Any tooth that needs to be derotated 20 degrees or more, oftentimes I'm going to go ahead and kick that another five degrees or so, five or six degrees. Um, so that that goes with any tooth. Now, I don't try to derotate molars a whole lot because the, that can be like trying to steer the Titanic. And so I, I'll limit how much derotation I'm trying to do on molars. But everything premolar forward... Um, if it's needing to derotate more than 20 degrees, I'll probably overcorrect another five degrees on that. So that's kind of universal premolars forward. That's one of the first things I look at. Um, and then, uh, and then secondly, um, like I was talking about earlier, lower, um, lower incisors and upper lateral incisors, they're probably the most pesky, um, 
and most frustrating that people have trying to trying to refine things. So that's another, those are other teeth that if they're needing significant movement, I'm going to take a real close look at them as far as rotation or extrusion or intrusion or anything like that, because um, those, those just being smaller teeth, less surface area, those can be harder and trickier for aligners to get. Um, so that's, that is number, that's my second, um, big, big takeaway. And then, um, really a third is really understanding Anchorage because I don't know about you guys, but like when I started, I hated attachments. I thought they were the most annoying well, thing. I, I wanted know, to I minimize to, attachments. I was, I was thinking about that just now. There is... My patients complain about two things up front. The buttons, they think the whole reason they're yeah. getting aligner therapy is to avoid the brackets. And ultimately, I'm, I'm almost convinced we're putting brackets on patients' teeth I and composite. I had a button on every single teeth yeah. across the front. And then mm -hmm. the other, the other mm -hmm. thing is, um, is, is, is the buttons and then IPR. So I want to, I want to kind mm -hmm. of talk to, if you don't mind, uh, because I think you were kind of going in that direction, the importance of attachments or buttons and the importance right. of IPR to help minimize, um, uh, uh, these issues. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think you guys have used sure smile a bit more. I, I have, I, I've been using Invisalign cause I, uh, have an iTero, but like, um, me, I'm agnostic of what people choose. I think they can get great results either way. It's just, you have to know the mechanics of it. But um, attachments are interesting because any case that I do um, now is going to have at least um, two attachments per arch. And that is because I want a leverage point for anchorage. Mm -hmm. Because when we talk about not, when we talk about not tracking, um, one of the biggest reasons uh, Meredith alluded it to earlier about patient noncompliance um, but we also talked about the tray just not fully seating in that we were using the munchies and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, I now at least put a couple of horizontal attachments on every case in the premolar area, one on each side, um, because I want that tray to have a, uh, a surface to snap onto and to lock into and keep that engagement. And so if you have teeth, especially in people that are clinchers and grinders and their teeth are worn real short and are just going to have less surface area anyway, you're going to need that, you're going to need that anchorage. You're going to need that um, tray to snap onto. So once you, so I started embracing attachments just from that standpoint. And then understanding from there, certain teeth, like I said, we talked about the lateral, upper laterals and lower um, incisors. If they're needing to rotate a bit, I'm a lot more prone to put an attachment on those teeth and giving that aligner a leverage point to push against because aligners only work by pushing teeth. It's not like braces where you put the bracket on the tooth put the wire into the bracket, and then everything is expressed through that wire. Here, the aligner, it only works by pushing teeth. 
And so if you think about certain movements and everything, you kind of just ask yourself, how this tooth needs to move? Well, how, what surface does the aligner have to push on to make that movement happen? And if it doesn't have a surface, then we need to add one and by using attachments. And so I used to try to keep away from them, but now um, it's part of my onboarding process, just like Meredith was talking about with the whole letting people know about all, um, the need for refinements and all that stuff. I have a whole sheet that I give people out that is just like additional liners is a possibility. Auxiliaries like rubber bands is a possibility. Attachments are a possibility. And they have to be on board with all of this stuff to become, to for us to move forward. And so really setting that expectations. And also just like, you know, I have a type of dot with just regular brackets on it. So if they're like, oh, these buttons are annoying, you know, I thought, you know, we were trying to get away from brackets. Well, show them what brackets look like. Be like, do you really think that is uh, comparable? And so that's how that's that's how I kind of get around those. But um, but yeah, so uh, before we move on to IPR, did that did that kind of yeah. answer your question about attachments and yeah, absolutely. So to kind of to kind of like um, <clears throat> wrap up this section is on the prevention or minimization of uh, refinements. What I would say is that we need to look at what I wrote down as as my key takeaway points is understanding ancillary items such as the munchies, chewies, straws, whatever we got to use mm -hmm. to really get the trays to seat. You know, everything is built around the plastic, the plastic engaging, the plastic pushing, plastic yeah. pushing. So we've got to get the plastic seated properly. Uh, and, and do remember these trays, each one is made for where the teeth should look like at the end of it. So the first day or two or the first hour or so, it's not really seating. So anything we can really do to get that tray seated completely will help. The second part was understanding the movements, especially rotations and extrusions, uh, the most common and probably most difficult movements, and understanding that we need to build in some overcorrection into, um, into our uh, uh, cartoon or video game, as, as you like to call it. And, and this is especially, you know, what I look at is when did I see my refinement? If I'm seeing refinement towards the latter half of treatment, this is probably just simply not having the overcorrection built in. If I'm seeing the refinement early on, I'm almost sure that that is a patient issue or brings into the attachments, not prescribing the right buttons or allowing the patients to really push us not to have the amount of buttons that we need on. And the truth is, premolars almost always need attachments, as Matt was saying, for anchorage points. And then if you're doing any type of extrusion or rotation uh, to your to your lateral incisors or lower incisors, you almost always need to have attachments onto those teeth. And uh, so to me, that's kind of some keys that I'd like to like us to take away in this section. Now, we've talked about the, some tips and tricks on preventing refinements, but we've also mentioned that, you know, refinement rate is from an expert like Matt is probably close to 50%. And from a non-expert like myself, probably close to 80 to 180,000% somewhere in that ballpark. So Matt, what do you, how do you deal with, and what can you tell us about dealing with and, 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 and going forward once you have a, a, a refinement coming due? So I have some specific questions on this. 
One is okay. I get lazy and don't take the buttons off. Should I be taking the buttons off before we submit uh, the new digital impression, or should we allow this uh, team? Sorry, allow the the ortho company to virtually remove the buttons. And um, what what, do you, what are your thoughts on that part of it? Um, now nowadays, I used to take them off all the time. Nowadays, I I spend another minute just kind of thinking about what type of movements are going to be needed, and I'm more up. I'm more akin to letting them um, digitally remove the attachments than I used to be. Um, because like today, for example, this is, uh, I had, I sent off for a refinement today. It was a patient with an anterior open bite and um, we made a lot of progress, but she's still just finishing just about maybe a, kind of more end to end, maybe a quarter millimeter. Like it's just real tiny, but I want to get more, uh, more overbite. And so I, but she already had the, um, horizontal extrusion, uh, attachments. So I'm thinking about it and I'm looking at this case. I'm like, well, I just want to extrude those more. The correct attachments are already on there. And yeah, when I look back at it, it's one of the, it, yeah, so it's just like, why would I buzz those off just for us to have to put them back on? Right. Um, but there are also, so that's that's where I let them kind of selectively um, uh, digitally remove uh, the attachments nowadays. I find it's more efficient that way. Um, that being said, if it's if it's a case like that's that's at the end. Okay, so T-Bone, you had mentioned, like, if you have a refinement early on um, and things just are not, like, going the way that it needs to be and stuff, yeah, something's up. And in a case like that, I'm more akin to uh, just polish things off and kind of start more from scratch. But toward, if it's a refinement towards the end or just trying to tweak some things, um, and just do a little bit, just a little bit of uh, better quality finish. Um, I'm more akin to leaving them on um, and then letting the lab digitally remove what they need to and then refreshing up from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are there any other suggestions that you have or things that you do once you do have refinements uh, that you'd like to like to kind of give some tips and tricks on that to our listeners? Yeah, so um, let's see. As far as refinements go, um, I try to – this is going to be very state-by-state state dependent. Um, what I do is if we're going to have to take um, – if we're going to have to take things off, in my state, assistants can bond the buttons. They can polish teeth. Um, they just can't do anything irreversible, right? So I have – um, so I'll go in and really taking attachments off and my practice, we've got it down to less than 10 minutes doctor time. Um, and so Kansas, luckily we can really utilize assistance pretty well. So, um, I'll go in with a, um, 12 fluted, um, finishing carbide, a flame, and I'll go in and I remove the uh, remove the buttons with a high speed from that, and that's that's how I get. And then um, the vast majority of everything. And this is 
I do this um, before refinements and I do this before um, scanning for retainers. Okay. So I do like to take off attachments before scanning for retainers. And so, um, but I'll get the vast majority of that off. I'll have my assistants finish up using like a Shofu one gloss composite polishing point on a slow speed because it's not going to be, it can't cut enamel and all that stuff. So any final remainders assistants can do. And then I let them know that we'll probably still refine up a little bit at the end when we deliver the retainers um, because it gives them a chance to be a couple weeks with um, and they, they can kind of feel if there's just anything still a little rough and stuff. So that's how we do it. And it works out really well because we've gotten our doctor time down for when we because it used to it used to be put on our my side. And that's just a totally unproductive appointment. Um, now we've gotten our workflow down to maximize um, our assistance time to where um, it's a lot more efficient and profitable for us. Oh, perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, so I had a question. When you went from, when Invisalign went from two-week wear to one-week wear, did you notice that you mm -hmm. were doing more refinements or was it not affecting treatment? You know, I'm still a little skeptical on the one-week wear because I think it uh, depends on what you're trying to do. Uh, there are certain movements that are going to be harder. Um, there are certain uh, person's biology. An older person um, with harder movements, I'm going to still have them in two-week wear uh, versus a younger person that just needs just slight slight refine uh, slight movements minor tooth movement type stuff i'll have them in a week um a lot of my patients are kind of in the middle and i might have them every change every 10 days so um i think um i've had great success using the week-long turnaround but that's because i think that's because i've been selective on when i use okay. it if that makes sense yeah yeah you know i I, I'm I, I'm starting to get back into the two week wear concept a We're little going bit. Going backwards, I, you know, and I think it's not that I, I don't necessarily don't believe that one week doesn't work. I'm just convinced patients aren't really wearing the trays a lot. Okay, and so if mm -hmm. I think one week wear is very dependent on the tray seating all the way, the patient using something yep. to help seat it, whether it's a you know a munchy, chewy, crunchy, whatever the hell you <laughs> want to call it, you know whether it's a vibrator of some sort, you know hopefully a, a dental vibrator right. of some sort, you know or, um, and then wearing it 23 hours a day. And I think, I think yeah. that's where patients, you know, they're, maybe they're not truthful or maybe they don't realize that it's a 23-hour wear. And, and so I'm moving back more and more to two-week wear. And I like to, mm -hmm. personally speaking, and this is not against you or anybody else, is I like to keep it consistent. So that way we're not trying to remember, is this patient on one week? Is this patient on 10 days? Is this patient on two weeks? Yeah. I just want to kind of get it to where all of our patients are using – you know, the same type of wear pattern, uh, wear, wear length, I should say. And so we've started moving more and more back to the concept of two-week wear because I just don't think our patients are wearing it a long time. But a last question yeah. I have for you, Matt, is, um, is dealing with it is, but I, and it kind of goes into the prevention, but 
What What are your thoughts on? I'm starting to do more and more staged IPR uh, with my cases uh-huh. versus IPR upfront uh, because mm-hmm. I'm finding that I I find it hard to do all the IPR, not from a time perspective. But especially, you know, typically we're doing IPR in rotated teeth or teeth that are raveled up. Yeah. And then I find it hard to get the IPR the way they're asking us to do it on rotated teeth because I, yeah. I just don't think we're doing it right. So, you know, if you don't mind briefly, talk to us about the importance of how to do IPR or staging IPR. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here bringing you our newest live patient implant training. Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all next fixed hybrids, mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course, it's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. Yeah, so, yeah, IPR, it's one of those things that it kind of depends on who you're talking to because you have folks that uh, really push, do all the IPR up front and eat eat that time commitment at the beginning so then that way the rest of the case is just, um, you don't have to touch it again. And I think... That's that 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 didn't work in my hands. Let's just put it that way. And so, and I like stage IPR, especially when knowing where I want to put the IPR for what. And the reason being is because I am real selective on how much IPR I do uh, in the lower anteriors. And so, because I don't want these teeth just looking like piano keys, you know, sticking straight up. Um, and so I know that with certain movements that, um, it might call for 0.5 IPR all across the lower anteriors and nothing in the premolars. And I'm just automatically thinking to myself, I'm going to want to hide some of that IPR. Like I said, I don't want to create piano keys down here in the front. And so, um, that and what you talked about with the rotation if you have teeth that are overlapped with each other or com- severely rotated, when we IPR, we're supposed to be IPRing the contact points. So if you have a contact point over here and a contact point over here, um, then that does, when you IPR with a disc or a strip, 
you're going to be stripping the facial or lingual surfaces of those teeth, not the actual contact points. And so I personally, I just love to, uh, um, if I can do all the IPR at the beginning, great. That's cool. I have no problem with that. But when we have rotations and stuff like that, I'm going to start thinking, when can I stage that? And I think a big part of it is just, I spend a little bit more time on the diagnosis side of things and the treatment uh, treatment planning setup side of things. So that way I know like all of my appointments are kind of lined out from the get-go. I do eight trays every time. And then I look and Invisalign, I don't know about SureSmile, but Invisalign will tell you like if it's planned on IPR, it'll even say right below the amount of IPR that this IPR needs to be done before tray 12 or 13 or 17 or whatever it is. And so I'll, I'll be looking at that and I'll just like whatever I can do at that first appointment, I'll do. But if I know that they're severely overlapped or rotated, I'll do it when we deliver tray 14. I'm going to get some unraveling going so that way when I do the IPR, um, it's the, the contact points are more evened up and I'm, I know that I'm going to be a lot more, um, a lot more, what do I want to say, conservative with how much I'm going to have to reduce. I'm not going to be damaging unwanted, uh, doing unwanted damage to the tooth. And so, and how we do our uh, IPR setups now is, um, you know, I place, a, I have the assistant place a little topical interdentally, um, kind of in the papilla area. And it takes me, it takes me less than 30 seconds to IPR a tooth. So I have to go in there and check anyway before we deliver more trays. So if it takes me an additional 30 seconds to just go ahead and do a little IPR then, it's not the end of the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I think IPR is important. I, I think we, I'm convinced we under IPR the teeth um, based on their prescription. I, I'm, I'm convinced of that. So, I, you know, I, I hope everybody listening today really got some great uh, tips and tricks. And to me, I, I felt like a failure when I was doing refinements because I would hear people say they hardly ever have refinements. And, and I was, now I know they're liars. <laughs> it's really, really yeah. what it boils down to. And then, so I think for me, the, the, the key was upfront with every patient. I just tell them every patient, we're going to have a refinement. Okay. If we don't, we just mm-hmm. got lucky. Uh, or you're an amazing patient, but the reality is we're going to have a refinement. I set it up that 100% of the time we're going to have a refinement yeah. and, and because you've got nothing to lose in that scenario. I don't right. think refinement is the best word to use. Yeah, talk. To, what do you mean you by know? that? I mean, I just think when you tell a patient, I don't think you do this specifically, but just in general when you say, you know, that's the word we know, yeah, right? Right, right. So that's we what the say you're going to have a refinement. They're like, what? Like, it doesn't sound good, yeah. right? So I think when we break it up, like, you're going to have phases. Or yeah. I think when you're re-anything, you're redoing something, you're resetting, you're, you know, f- like, refinement, it sounds like it's off and they think something's wrong. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. setting people up that we're going to go through, you know, this set of trays and then we'll have to order another set. 
then they're not thinking, oh, we're having to redo something. Yeah, I, 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 I totally, I get that. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. And that shows you how much I'm talking to the patients, right. quite frankly. Right. So I think if anything, people take away from this, that one, you're not a failure if you are doing refinements. Yeah. Two, um, if you're not doing ortho, you should be, because as Matt says, uh, it takes him 10 minutes on a delivery. And as T-Bone, you can see, he doesn't even talk to the patient. No, I so. do. I, I don't want people to think I'm not talking to the patient. No, no, no. No, but most of the time, you know, for a consult yeah. or for that's already been explained. You're typically not explaining yeah. that. What, what I took away from Matt's program, and, and certainly I do want to, you know, I'm not here to sell things, but I, I also, look, orthodontics can be greatly profitable and aligner therapy can be unbelievable for offices. But... No, no offense to the aligner companies. Their training is how to use the software, okay? It's not really training. Yeah. It's not orthodontic training. It's not any of those things. And what I will tell you that Matt has done unbelievably well is he gives us a good straight wire, straight aligner therapy, understanding of what, uh, how tooth movements work, what tooth mechanics are, how they work with brackets, how they work with aligners. And more importantly... We've got to spend more time on the diagnosis. We can't believe the and, and the truth is is with at least with a li- line with Invisalign, um, that first clean check you get back is typically a computer generated, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, um, model. It's an AI. I forgot yeah. what that's called. Artificial, Artificial intelligence. Yeah, algorithm. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's an algorithm of some sort. So, so you've got to put your time in, and and that's where Matt has done a really good job. Is you know, bring some of your cases that you've started or you're going to be starting. Let's log in. Let's take a look at them. You know, have some follow up support with him after the program. You mm-hmm. know, where he can jump on a webinar with everybody and and really get it to where these cases, even if they don't take you less time or you don't end up having less refinements get happier patients and you walk into it knowing what cases to treat and what cases not to treat. You know, to me, those are the keys is what to do, what not to do, when to, when to walk away, especially as a novice aligner therapy owner, uh, sorry, a lot provider. Those are super important. So if you want to get better at your clear line of therapy, if you want to have a better understanding, I highly recommend Matt's program. Uh, here at 3D Dentist, Adult Cosmetic Orthodontics. Uh, he co- covers straight wire orthodontics so that you do know how to use brackets uh, when those, you know, when cases are good for brackets. And then you know how to properly set up and what to look for with aligner therapy, uh, what the different attachments and buttons are, when to prescribe what, how to do IPR, how to do overcorrection, you know, what cases to do, what cases not to do how to, you know, work the cartoon video game software, all of those things. It's so important. You know, certification on how to use their software or some online online training, it simply isn't enough. So whether you choose 3D Dentist and Matt Standridge or not, get yourself some more training. Um, It'll get you fired up and it'll get you doing more therapy. Matt, any closing remarks from you? No, like I said, I think uh, what you mentioned about just uh, diagnosis is absolutely correct. We can't rely on 17-year-old lab techs in Costa Rica to make our decisions for our patients. We've, we've got to be able to know what we're looking at, and it can still be done efficiently and profitably. And um, But, yeah, we, we've, got to, we've got to know and then bring our team in, train them up, that's why we want to have an assistant 
our ortho champion or a liner champion at the at the course with us so that way we can instill them with confidence and build them up and all that stuff and then once you really get people um feeling good happy patients happy team members it's it's pretty fun in practice yeah absolutely i want to thank everybody for tuning in this week uh uh, if you want to get in touch with Matt, uh, Matt, how can people get in touch with you? What's the outside of sliding into your DMs, which Meredith doesn't <laughs> like it when I say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, so people can get a hold of me on Facebook. Um, they can also email um, me at my practice email because that's the one I check the most. So that's Dr. Matt, D-R-M-A-T-T at YatesCenterDental.com. But I'm also in the um, uh, Facebook groups um, on uh, the 3D Dentist group and all that stuff. So on the interwebs, I'm pretty easy to find. (laughs) Matt, thank you so much. Meredith, thank you so much. We want everybody to, just a friendly reminder, if we can help you at 3D Dentist, help you uncomplicate dentistry, help you overcome overwhelm and stress and frustration by simplifying dentistry so you can win in practice and win at life. That's what we do at 3D Dentist. We're here for the individual dentist, whether you're a practice owner, whether you're an associate, helping you navigate through the complexities of dentistry. Uh, That's what we're here for. If you love the podcast, please leave us a review so Meredith has more reviews to read on uh, on the introductions. And then, of course, if you can support us by attending our programs at 3D-Dentists.com or T-BoneSpeaks.com, we would love to host you at our amazing retreat here in Raleigh, North Carolina, or at our new location at Sullivan Dental Partners in Nashville, Tennessee, Uh, We'd love to have you at either one of these programs or our Sleep Road programs next year. Uh, Please let us know. Uh, We're ready to help you move your practice forward. So everybody, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family, T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind, the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode.